You're listening to Modded. In today's episode, we are in Portland, Oregon, and I'm here with Chris Porter, who is probably most well-known for his yellow bug eye. Uniquely yellow, um, kind of a rare color, and I wanted to ask, um, I guess, before we get into the background, like, why the yellow specifically? What made you go with that? Um, I actually didn't really go with it. It kind of fell into my lap <laughs> unintentionally, so that would lead me into the full backstory, which I can cover later but essentially I had a I had a black wagon O2 WX is my first car and it was automatic after a while I finally decided I didn't like automatic anymore and I was ready to be cool I was ready to be the cool high school kid and have a manual and so I posted up the car for sale and um, actually an older gentleman contacted me who had the yellow one and he had just had leg surgery and said it was bad for him to be driving stick but he wanted to stick with the WRX so he's like do you want to work out a trade mm, I'm totally right. interested I want to stay with a wagon I, I like that idea of, of being into a wagon and uh, and I went and met up with him and I actually didn't like the yellow at first and that was going to be why I said no because <laughs> I thought the yellow was not a cool color and uh, I thought about it and he had some some stuff done to the internals he had the internals done and the turbo put on and the access port and I liked the way that it sounded because it actually had an exhaust unlike mm -hmm. mine and I uh, ended up going through with it. I paid him 500 bucks on top and it had 30,000 less miles than my wagon. Nice. And and then I found out, I don't even know how long later, that the yellow was such a rare color. I was like, well, I guess I lucked out on that one. <laughs> so. so you got it in yep. high school. When did the bug for you first start? Probably in high school. Like, I'd always enjoyed cars my entire life. Uh, I could always name them as a young toddler and always wanted to talk about them, but didn't really see myself enjoying them until I got one. And then once I had it and started buying little parts here and there, you know, obviously cheap stuff because I didn't know what was good and what wasn't and what was real and what was cool. And it was just kind of like, oh, I see that. I want to buy that. And I'd get it. And then later on, I'd realize, oh, I could have bought something way better. And so then I'd upgrade that part and then so on and so forth. So I really didn't catch it hardcore until I got the, the bug eye. So what was the first car then for you? The wagon, the O2 wagon. What made you go with that? What made you go with Subaru to begin with? Honestly, I almost bought a Civic DX hatch as my first one. Then I almost bought a single cab Tacoma because I like both of those. I was originally going for reliability and gas mileage because those are what I thought was important as a 15 year old. And I'd saved up money, I'd worked as much as possible, and then I spotted the Subaru. I liked the wagon idea, I liked black, um, which is what color it was, and the uh, all-wheel drive aspect was nice, because I grew up in Central Oregon, which gets a lot of snow, and I figured all-wheel drive would be safer in the snow, and it looked like it had decent clearance for the snow, so on and so forth. So I went and test drove it, I'd never driven a turbo vehicle before. So even though it was stock, it seemed so fast, and I loved it and bought it that day. So then you had, you moved on to the yellow bug eye. What was the first thing that you did to it? Ooh, good question. I'd, I'd honestly have to go back and look at pictures. I think the first thing I did to it was the JDM headlights, which are the only parts that I bought years ago that I still have on the car. Cause everything else that I went and bought, I found out years later, like, oh, that was actually crap. Like, I should actually get something better. 
but those are the only things that I kept, and they're they're like the OEM 2001 Pro Drive Black Chrome OEM Ballast HIDs, like super rare mm-hmm. set, <clears throat> and yeah, I think that was the first thing I did, and then I added a quick release with the Sparco wheel. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of your car way before. I guess you could say it got super big on Instagram and it was a whole lot of different colors. There was a lot of white mm-hmm. on there, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this thing is just like sort of in pieces. And then yep. once <laughs> once everything was painted and then when did, when did the flares come in? Um, so they came in because I kept buying wheels. Like I'm on my, I don't even know, sixth or seventh set of wheels on this car right now. And every time I bought wheels, they get bigger and bigger and my offset would decrease and my width would increase a little bit every time. And as I got more and more aggressive, I, um, I realized that as I wanted to go low but aggressive, I was going to reach a point where I'd need to do something. And I actually bought the Carlton Flares. They were the, some of the OG sets, like original, when they mm-hmm. were still almost impossible to find. Um, I got one of the 04 sets because it was all I could come across and I was like, I'll make the bumper work later. I'll figure that out. But I have to get these because I saw a couple online that just totally inspired me and I wanted them so bad. And so I bought the flares and then I bought the Cosmos, the 18 by 11s. And then when we mounted them with the 285s, realized these aren't meant to fit this wide of a wheel. So then came the, or the decision to get bags. So I could actually drive mm-hmm. and work out the rest later. But flares, really, I just I got I loved that look so much, and I don't know how I don't know what made me decide to do it. I just it was at a point where I was ready to buy other cars as daily drivers, and mm-hmm. I was finally starting to crack down on this and keep it as just a fun car because it was my daily for almost three years. So what what made you go with? tubbing the rear because you did something that not a lot of people do most people are just going to cut the the quarter panels put the flares on but they you did extra metal work yeah and that was actually my my body guy's idea so big shout out to him wise concepts and bend he he's like a one-man show but he does flawless work on every car i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and i took it to him told him what i wanted i want these wheels to fit these flares and i need all these you know 20 different body panels sprayed the same color finally since, like you said, I had white skirts and I had a white bumper and I had my, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I had the black bumper in the rear for everything and the unpainted flares, so um, everything had to come together. And he uh, did months of work to it. I just kind of dropped it off and I'd go in when I can to check it out and mm-hmm. help out with whatever I can, even though I had no idea what body work really, you know. Until, I remember that period of time where it was like nothing coming yep, from you whatsoever. It, yep, it was like four months, and yeah. it was just it was one of those. I knew that if I just let him take his time, I'd be happy with the product, and yeah, sure enough, it was totally worth it. So it got to a point where he's like, "I think I think I can make this where we can with your bags and how wide these wheels are and how aggressive your tire setup is. I think I can make this so you can drive aired out." And I was like, "That sounds. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that." So what is what is that going to mean so he's like i'll here's what i'll do with the rear i'm going to tub this and we're going to we cut into the door mm-hmm. uh, on all four or on the the rear sorry and then um yeah welded in the big flat piece of metal so that when i did roll aired out it was just rolling on this nice flat piece of metal up in mm-hmm. the fender well instead of you know a grinding 
fender like a lot of people have that just throw some flares on and call it good. And or just risking the fact that if you drive air dots, you're going to buckle something, you're going to buckle right. the metal, and they're going to ruin all that work. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then he did a lot of fiberglass work to all four flares, so all the rears were redone to match the bumper, you know, because the 05 STI rear has the weird little divots that you know stick outward mm -hmm. where the oem flares would go and then we had my charge speed skirts that you know didn't fit properly with those and then the rear door that we cut so the flare no longer lines up straight you know just one thing after another but he had no problem refiberglassing everything and i've had more people than i can count tell me that they look molded and you know you can't really tell until you get up close and you see that there's the you know maybe three screws per flare is all it takes right the fitment's just so spot on you can just set it on the car and it'll it'll stay there so it's uh it was fun <laughs> so we're talking charge speed we're bringing up pro drive and these big japanese brands so what made you go with like the authentic the authentic parts and um investing that much time money especially with the older generations like these parts are harder and harder to acquire as time goes on yep um a big part of that was finally getting a little more into Instagram and seeing what was out there. Uh, I actually never intended to make an Instagram. A friend made one for me and just posted a picture and they're like, here you go. You have an Instagram now. I was like, okay, sure. I guess I'll upload every once in a while. And uh, I was finally at that point getting a little more into it. And I'd have to go back and see like how many followers I was at when I started doing it. But I think it was down at like five or five or 10 K, which was already surprising that that many people were liking the car but um, I was just starting to get exposed to the scene and see how many Subarus are out there and how many people have done similar things and how common bug eyes are and how common even blob eyes are. And I really wanted to do things different. And I knew in order to do that, I'm going to have to buy things that not everybody else can just go anywhere and buy. You know, I'm not going to just buy OEM stuff or eBay stuff. I'm going to have to find stuff that takes me time and make it worth it. And that's why the, like my wing and trunk, the Duluc, it's a matching set. It's the only matching set in the US that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. I knew one other person on the East Coast with the Duluc wing that originally made me want to get it. And I was like, that wing is, it's very different. Mm -hmm. It's unique, but it's so cool. And nobody else has it. And then he sold it and it disappeared and nobody knows where it went. Which those parts tend to happen, trust me. I've seen them come and go. Yeah, Yeah. right. So that was one of those I told myself, like, if I ever, if that wing ever pops up someday somewhere, I'm getting it no matter what I have to do. So I had the APR wing in the meantime. And then when it did finally pop up on, it was on this really nice, like, show Evo. Mm -hmm. And the dude that bought it didn't want, didn't like the look of it. And that was my opportunity. Finally, I've been waiting for. And so it's just stuff like that. So I finally got a hold of the wing. And then after I got the wing, somebody messaged me on Instagram. He's like, hey, I have the matching trunk if you ever want it. I'm like, no way. Like, to have one or the other of the authentic Duloc is rare enough, but to have mm -hmm. both and then to drill into the trunk for the wing was, I don't, I haven't seen it anywhere. Um, so it's just stuff like that. And then the charge speed front bumper and yeah, charge speed skirts and you know, the authentic charge speed carbon roof vane. Yeah. Just stuff like that. I wanted I wanted things that was going to set me at least a little bit apart of what everybody else has. And I knew that wasn't going to be easy to do. Were there any cars or guys that you looked up to specifically that oh, yeah. drove you in that direction? A bunch of them. I'd have to go through the people that I follow on Instagram. But yeah, there's there's quite a few that were 
that were definitely, that had aspects that I was shooting for that I'm still, you know, I still either follow them or we're friends with, mm -hmm. you know, to this day. But yeah, that'd be something I can look into if you want me to start scrolling. Oh, we can say that for later. But <laughs> um, so you went through a couple of cars and you have a couple right now too. And I remember at one point you had a Raptor and then you mm -hmm. got rid of that and then you have yep. your STI, right? So what was the driving direction for getting all the cars and then what you have now? Oh, I've had a lot. Yeah, I think I'm on car number like 12 or something like that in the last three or four years. So yeah, I dailyed the WRX when I was, from when I was 15. Well, I got it like 10 days before my 16th birthday. So I already had my permit and I wanted it ready. So when I turned 16, I went on my birthday and got my license so that I could drive it. Um, so I drove that until I was about, I guess daily until I was about late, late 18. And, and then I got, let's see, what was the first car I got? I got a 1989 um, Datsun pickup. I don't even remember the submodel, but it was total junk. Got it for like 800 bucks. And first time I went and started it after I bought it, it was just covered in a plume of smoke. And I had no idea why. I was not familiar with these whatsoever, but I figured that was probably an issue. So I resold it, and then I got a, it was like a 92 or 93 uh, Trooper, Suzu Trooper, but it had like 270,000 miles on it. It was cool, and it was like lifted, had some cool tires and wheels on it, and then like a month into having it, the brakes went out in my driveway. I was backing it up, and my foot suddenly went to the floor, and it just <laughs> kept rolling. And so I, I sold it that day. Then after that, I went and got a 2003 Audi, 2003 or four Audi A4 wagon, and had that for a little bit, and it was just too boring. I realized I kind of need something a little more fun to uh, to drive around. So then, oh geez, there's so many cars, I can't even remember them all. Um, I think that's the point that I got the uh, 97 Legacy wagon, the red one. Um, that one was all built up by a friend I had there in Bend. He'd done a ton of work to that thing, bunch of rare JDM parts and whatnot. Like that car was ready to be a show car with some TLC uh -huh. and it was a lot of fun to drive. Just, it was slammed and it was, you know, it was, it was just a good time. But Do you still have that by the way? No, okay. I don't. Um, I realized later on that it just wasn't very practical for what I needed a daily for, uh -huh. you know, I was trying too much to have a fun, a cool daily that I'd be happy with. So I wouldn't be spending money on something. And then um, that's when I decided to get an Evo. And so I got an 03 Evo 8 and got it tuned and it made 340 wheel. And then the transfer case went out on my way home from getting it tuned, of course. So I had a built transfer case with limited slip diff done and got that in and then after a couple road trips of getting 11 miles a gallon with my 1100 CC injectors and the tune as fun as it was I decided I wanted a truck so then I got the 15 Tacoma and it was it was a gorgeous truck super it was like 8,000 miles and completely mint top to bottom and then I made the mistake of test driving a Raptor and realizing how much more fun that was than the Tacoma and yeah I bought that one like a week later just because it was fast and suspension felt good and it just felt a lot beefier than the Tacoma because I originally got the Tacoma to tow the WRX mm -hmm. and then after driving the Raptor I was like yeah this is much more capable 
And then I did my first trip to Stance Wars, Seattle in, this would have been 2017. And I towed the WRX from Central Oregon, which was like a seven hour trip and cost me like 350 bucks in gas. And I was getting like seven miles a gallon. I'm like, this is terrible. This is so bad. Like, This is not meant for towing long distances. There's so many trucks I could have that would be cheaper mm-hmm. to tow. So at that point, I decided that it might be cheaper for me just to go back into a car again and just drive the WRX and put maintenance in it when it needs it. So then I got an 18 STI and yeah, brand new off the lot. And then after owning that for, let's see, I just sold it like three months ago. Um, when I moved up here to Portland, Mm -hmm. there was a little bit more traffic than there was in central Oregon. So driving stick was fun, but just more labor intensive and didn't feel as rewarding as it did when I could actually get on it more often with, with some open road. And I am doing so many things to the WRX right now. I needed the cargo space to throw parts and, you know, haul stuff to powder coat and haul stuff back and forth from Bend in here. So it just wasn't very practical to have it. So I now have a 15 uh, BMW 328 wagon. Um, And it's already got all the stuff done to it that I would normally do to a car, you know, lowered wheels, um, just clean, simple, but something I don't know anything about the BMW chassis, so I won't be tempted to put money into it, which was another goal that I need to stop buying cars that I'll want to dump money into, both the Evo or the STI. Coming from my friend uh, Patrick, who went, he had a BMW as well, and he swapped over to the FRS. He's like, he just can't work on them the same way that you Mm -hmm. can in FRS. Like in FRS, you can just do everything yourself. Any like Toyota or Subaru, you can do everything yourself. And then BMW just hassle. He said it'll never go back if I remember him correctly. Yeah. So. Yep. And it's it's definitely a cool car, and I'm enjoying it for now. But I know with my track record, you know, I'll have something else in the next six months anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's really just I usually either just browse Craigslist when I'm bored, which is actually how I got this BMW, my first day off after I moved up here to Portland, and I was on Craigslist just for fun. So I'm like, well, I'm here now, and there's you know the city's 20 times bigger than where I moved from. And I was up here all the time for shows and whatnot anyway. So I'm like, oh, let's just look around at some dealerships online and just see what's out here. What was the motivation to move to Portland? Oh, I'll get into that in a second. Um, but yeah, anyway, found the BMW. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll go check it out. Went and checked it out and bought it a few days later. It's for fun. So I have a problem with that. But anyway. so it's typical to- car guy. Yeah. Yeah. But the WX will always be here. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be my constant. Um, so moving to Portland was a few, a few different reasons. The main reason of all is I had spent my entire life in Central Oregon. It's a great, it's a great area to live. It's safe. You know, overall it's pretty quiet. Um, it's just after you've been there forever, it's just boring. And I was in Portland for every car show, either here or Seattle, really for the most part. Um, and the car scene in general here is just significantly larger. There's more meets all the time. There's tuning shops everywhere. There's actually companies that do car things, you know, both in and out of show season. And I, back in Central Oregon, I didn't usually get my car out more than once a month, if that. And then come wintertime, since there was so much snow, that meant red cinder rock all over the road for five months. So there was just so much time out of the year that I didn't even get to drive my car. Whereas here, it doesn't snow really ever. You might get a day of snow 
in the winter season, but that's going to be it. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing for me that I can finally drive the car more, um, have a reason to get it out, be closer to the shows that are here. And it cut my drive in half for going up to Seattle. So yeah, that was mainly it. Plus then just, um, outside of work, you know, there's concerts and there's, you know, just people everywhere with stuff to do and restaurants that I have never tried or right. don't get in central Oregon, you know, like my favorite restaurant, Buffalo Wild Wings. We don't even have one <laughs> within, you know, this is the closest one to where central Oregon was. So just stuff like that. It was just, I finally decided, well, I've got the, I've got the means and I'm young enough to, you know, still go try all this stuff out. So why not? So I've had my, my car now, I've been modifying it for say almost six years. And during that time, I've gotten ripped off of guys. I've paid for stuff, and I've never actually ended up getting the parts that I paid for. So have you ever run into that yourself? Yep. <laughs> one one particular one. And I'm actually, what I didn't know is how similar we are on that timeline. In March, I'll have had my car six years. So that's interesting. But anyway, yeah, um, 2000, what is it, 19 now? So this must have been 2017. Um, ordered a fully custom one-off set of wheels and actually almost nobody knows about this because I never went public with it Um, but yeah I paid four grand for some wheels and was going to be a part of most of the process local local person you know starting a business and um, yeah was a part of gonna get to be a part of that process start to finish and it just wasn't happening Um, there was kind of I won't go into too much detail but excuses here and excuses there of why stuff wasn't getting done and whatnot but I made the mistake of paying upfront in assurance for getting wheels uh, by a certain date and it didn't happen and it was like a year a year had gone by of those same kind of things before it finally was let out into the open that the wheels had never actually been started even though I was under the impression that lips and barrels were done and that faces were almost done, and hardware was ready, and blah, blah, blah. So what I had thought was really close to being my fully complete custom set of wheels to completion was not even started. And it's now 2019, and I have not seen a dollar of it back. And there's about six six other people that I've now become close with because of this. We've all bonded together over this nice, um, what turned out to be an unintentional scam for all of us and none of us have our money but yeah has that been the only headache that you've had to deal with with a car well, the only real financial one yeah <laughs> i got a a great story of my uh, lack of knowledge of what a small part does recently uh, so before stance wars of this last year 2018 so we're like what is this beginning of july um, which both Stance Wars and Weekfest were the following weekends for each other in Seattle. And that's, that was a big trip for me because I was still down in Central Oregon. So that was still a seven-hour drive in a car with no AC and, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the, all the fun stuff that a, you know, show car has to deal with when you're driving on the street that's not comfortable. But um, I decided that I was tired of my intake manifold looking stock so I wanted to pull it and paint it and I had never removed one before but I'd heard how much of a headache they are on Subarus but I was like you know I'm I'm at a level I think 
you know, I think we'll be fine. And so my now roommate and I, Josh, pulled the intake manifold. Everything was fine. I got it powder coated and put it back together. And I had also pulled like the idle air control valve off and, um, and the throttle body. And I painted all of that while it was off and put everything back together all clean. And I noticed when we would try to start the car, it would, it ran for a second. And, you know, there's so many connectors and clips and hoses and everything that connects to the intake manifold. It's oh, a, yeah. Subarus are notorious for having like oh, a man. thousand vacuum lines oh, on the goodness. engine bay. It was terrible. But we were pretty certain we had it all back together. And what was supposed to be done in a day turned into like a two or three day ordeal. So first time we start the car, it runs for 15 seconds and then kind of you know, blub blubs and dies. So it's like, okay, what is it not getting? You know, why is it not staying at idle? And then I try to start it and it would just like, it was hitting like a hundred RPMs and then dropping. So it would like go, it would start, die, start, die, start, die, but it wouldn't go up past a hundred RPMs. So it was super wonky. And uh, we checked in the engine bay and there was a little bit of coolant leaking out of the idle air control valve, which at the time I didn't know that that's, that was the idle air control valve. Um, I thought it was just, you know, like part of the throttle body in that whole assembly. And so we took it off and there was like a little bit of gunk on the underside of the idle air control valve. And uh, so I scraped it off thinking like, okay, maybe this is causing it not to seat down all the way. So I scraped that off and put it back on tried to start the car again, went back and it was leaking even more coolant from it. I'm like, okay, well that had the reverse effect. And so we pulled it back off again. And what had actually happened is there was supposed to be, this took me, I found the answer finally at like 2 a.m. that following night when I'm up really late searching on my phone. You know, when you got a problem with the car and you don't know what it is and you're just searching everywhere, you're like, there's gotta be a forum where somebody's asked about this. You know, there's gotta be something where somebody knows what's going on. And um, so maybe I'll get to that, but we pulled the throttle body back off and there's just a puddle of coolant in my intake manifold, like a puddle of it. And so then the question is how much of it just got in the block? How much of it just circled through any of the engine? You know, how much coolant just got in? So we shot back the coolant out of the intake manifold and um, put everything back together and just gave up for the night. And I found out at two in the morning that there's a, a gasket that goes on the inside of the idle air control valve that on Subarus is notorious for uh, dissipating over time. So when I pulled it off, there wasn't one there, but it was still sealed because it had been, it was stock. So it had been, you know, stuck on for potentially 15 years and never been touched. So there's no gasket here. So I don't think that one needs to go back on because if there's not one there now, why would you, you know, why would you think to put one there amongst all that when that wasn't my focus? So it was essentially what normally bypasses coolant through the throttle body to keep it cool, to start the car easier in cold weather. The gasket was missing, so it instead was funneling it over the hole it wasn't supposed to go into and dropping it straight down into the intake manifold where my front mount piping was and everything. So it was just funneling it straight over the little wall where it wasn't supposed to. And uh, yeah, so it turned out to be an $8 part the next day when we finally got it put back together and fixed, I have a video on my phone of the car running and it was shooting 
puddles of coolant out the exhaust. Oh my god. Like enough had gotten through that it went through the entire intake system. Went through my turbo, went through my whole exhaust, all of it. So I did an oil change just in case. And sure enough, the oil was definitely, you know, had its had its share of coolant sharing space. And um, and yeah, like I said, the video is pretty funny. The car in my driveway idling, just shooting puddles of coolant everywhere. Like, well, that was easily the almost worst thing that's ever happened when I almost just lost my motor to, you know, what could have been hydrolock or could have, you know, who knows, so many things. And all over like a $4 gasket that I didn't know needed to be there. So lesson learned. So you talked about being up late at 2 a.m. We were talking about this earlier, but you're, you're currently working two jobs, right? Yes. So where do you work at right now? Um, so I am a, uh, the position is called lead supervisor. So I manage a department at a company called Consumer Cellular. Um, I manage the department. They do live chat is mainly the focus. We've done emails and, you know, we work with a lot more like technical and sometimes legal side of the customer base. And um, I've been there for about four years. And then I am at Headlights Northwest over here in Portland, which a lot of people know of them for the insane crazy, wild, custom headlight builds that come out of there. I mean, and taillights, but definitely headlights are the main thing, and I'm doing the customer side of things there for the most part. So answering everybody's emails that come through, uh, answering social media stuff, getting on the phone when I can, uh, giving people quotes, all that stuff. So whenever people come there for inquiries, it's usually me they're going to talk to from here on. What's your typical work day looking like then if you're working the two jobs? All day, every day. <laughs> yeah, work my other job from 6 a.m. to, or 6.30 a.m., but I'm up, you know, 5.15, 5.30 um, until 6 p.m. And, or some days like today where I'm stuck there until 6.30. And then I'm usually at home in the evening answering some emails for the shop if I can. And then my day is off of that other job. I'm at the shop for 12, 15 hours, whatever the day whatever the day brings. I mean, it's been especially busy now. They, they just got a new location, and so we kind of built that shop from the ground up, really, which was a great experience, but that was a lot of, very time-consuming, a lot of 2 and 3 a.m. nights doing that when I had work at 6.30 the next day, so not as much of that will be happening anymore now that everything's going to be back under operation, right. you know, normal operation soon, but, yep, seven days a week and trying to get the car done on the side, so... So the reason I ask that being is because a lot of the time the question comes up of how it is that you afford to do what you do on a car in a matter of also financial independence. Right. So go into that a little bit if you can. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely a common thing. It's not easy or sorry, it's not hard to tell looking at me that I'm young. You know, a lot of a lot of people, it's, that's always their first thing. They're like, you're so much younger than I expected or they'll see me on Instagram and it's like, what are you like, 15? You know, it's like, yeah, I do look really young a lot of the time, but, um, but yeah, that's always the question. It's like, how is somebody that's as young as you had so many cars and still built this other one that, you know, is at the level it's at today? And honestly, it's just hard work and motivation. Like the comment always comes up like, oh, who funds this guy? And, you know, where's the mommy and daddy money? And it's uh, never been the case. So I've had great support from my mom for all of this, but everything financial is, I, I work for all, all my money. I've, I've had a full-time job since I was 14 
And when I turned 16, I was working 150 hour pay periods at a restaurant, a nice resort restaurant and got great experience there and was doing that while I was finishing high school. So I was already making, you know, good amount of money doing, putting in crazy overtime every week while finishing high school. Um, I was able to go to a high school that was set up more like college. So I was able to take, you know, four classes at a time and just go three days a week. So it made my schedule a lot more open for things like a full-time job where I could go work from 7 a.m. till 2 a.m. the next day, like I did quite frequently. Um, and and then went right from there to this job I'm in now, working full-time and doing whatever else I can to make money on the side. But never, I've never stopped working. I've never stopped being motivated for it. And I'm smart with my money. I don't blow it on anything, really, besides the car. So... The car's been my main expense for the past six years. Other than that, I just, I know where to spend it. I know where to be smart with it, you know? So. Yeah. so another question is to what, what did your mom think of it when you started doing this? She loves it. She's got an Evo, Evo 9. Um, after I had the WRX for a while, she, like, she's always enjoyed fast and fun cars. And then when I finally had the WRX and it was, you know, we're, we're going every day getting to drive around in it and whatnot, she's like, okay, I want to get into something more fun now. And then she saw one of the Top Gear episodes on the Evo 9, and she's like, that's the one I want. And within a year, she got an Evo 9 MR, and she still got it. That's her, that's her, you know, in the garage, drive it when it's a fun car. I mean, it's only got like 60K miles on it, so, you know, it's still pretty fresh. And um, so, yeah, she absolutely loves it, and she loves everything I've done with the car, and, um yeah, definitely big supporter. Loves coming out to shows and stuff too. So she usually tries to make it out for some big ones like Stance Wars and whatnot. She'll make the drive up just to just to see the the car and all its setup. And you know, obviously being being her son, she loves seeing all the people coming up to me that love the car and you know just the just the respect and uh, you know fans that I have out there is just crazy. So it's pretty fun. So on the other side of of the supportive aspect negative feedback that you've gotten from your car? Um, surprisingly, most of the negative feedback revolves around the parts that I love the most. So the wing is is pretty much number one, um, especially the dual, or what, what I see people call the dual wing a lot, because I have the low mount Duloc wing that it probably is my favorite part of the car, just because it that thing took me three and a half years to find one. And I, I wanted that so bad for so long and there's like nobody else in the US with one or the trunk matching setup. So it's like, that was my favorite thing to have on the car. And I get questions about it all the time of what is it? But on the other hand, especially on big pages where they want people to comment, you know, they post the, the captions where they're trying to bring people in of like, oh, rate this one to 100 or what would you change about this car? You know, just trying to bring in that the comment chain and I always see comments about the wing, like, oh, that wing is so ugly. Like, oh, who even would put that on their car? It looks so ricer. I get a lot of ricer comments, which is pretty funny, because it's like, well, if you understood the quality of these parts, you probably wouldn't feel the same way. But And if you knew what Duluc was. Right. And it, yeah, if you knew that and you knew the amount of custom work in the car as a whole, it's like, it's, it's just, you know, it's not something I'm worried about explaining to everybody, because it's, you know, that's not really what Instagram's about for people. They just want that quick look and, you know, it's got to look good, look good on the swipe by. That's all they really care about. Um, but yeah, that, and then I have the, the charge speed roof vane as well. So that in itself kind of looks like a small wing. 
So a lot of people like to be negative about having both of those, since I got like two spoilers, you know, usually the comment I see. Um, and then I've, I've been surprised recently at how many people on those pages have commented on the camber of the car, which is surprising because I really don't have much at all. I keep it very minimal because that's not really... I enjoy it. I love, you know, I love when people can fit crazy setups, but I just personally for my car, I wanted to fit the most aggressive setup I can without having to go crazy on the camber. So that's been something I've been pretty proud of that I can tuck these setups without, you know, having the entire tire off the ground. So, um, so that's been kind of surprising. I think it's just the, the illusion of the dish in the wheels makes it look a lot more camber than it really is. Um, and the little bit of stretch that I now have to have to fit these wheels. But, um, yeah, those are the most, the two most common. And a lot of people don't like yellow either. I mean, let's be real. It's not a good color. <laughs> yellow, yellow is not even a color I like. I'll be fully honest. Red and black and even white are my favorite colors. So if I could have my car any other color, it'd be red for sure. But the yellow for this is just, it's paid off and it works, you know, and it's different. But bottom line, a lot of people don't like yellow and I totally get it. <laughs> so yeah, those are the main things. Well, it's good that you can be open and honest about like some of the negative aspects that you, that you think about your car as well. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, oh, I know we were talking about um, positive feedback and people just sort of recognizing you and recognizing the car. It's been extremely positive feedback from what I've been seeing. Um, and it's got some good stories behind with as far as people knowing who you are, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very humbling and um, something I was telling you, talking to you about at dinner, like a, a really, the, the biggest compliment people can give me is when they see the car for the first time and they tell me that the car looks better in person than it does online because that is such a, you know, a, a thing for those of us that have put the time into actual detail on our cars. I'm sure, you know, I know you get it that, you know, there's so many cars that look good on Instagram and you're so hyped to see it. And it's like everything, all these shots are so cool that people get to take pictures of it. And then you see it in person and it's just like kind of a letdown. It's like you get close and you start seeing all these, all these things and it's really not cared for. And it's kind of, you kind of see the mentality of the person, like they're just doing this for, you know, for the getting recognized. They're not doing it because they really love what's going into the car and you can see the passion level that they're at based on the car in person. So when people tell me that it looks better in person, that's like, that's, that's my, that's my goal right there. Cause that's how I, how I built it. I wanted it to be at that level in person and not just be some Instagram facade, you know, like a chick that doesn't always just look good on Instagram, but better in life. <laughs> yeah. But actually has a personality and yeah. So that's that's how the car that's how I want the car to be and that's how I'd, I appreciate other people's builds that are the same way, you know, that they can be humble people and they're willing to talk to anybody about it, you know. And they'll message back those people with twenty five followers to ask their questions and I'll admit I'm terrible at it. I have tons of DMs and I try like once a month to go in and catch up with people, but there's just there's so many and working seven days a week makes it really hard. But that's, those are the type of people I respect that are willing to talk to anybody about it. They're not just going to shrug people off because, you know, they have whatever car and, you know, that kind of thing. So I definitely appreciate those builds that have that level of attention to detail to them. So with all the changes as far as like personal changes and changes with the car, why has the WRX been the constant? I just got so deep into it that 
you know, after years ago when I was just starting to do stuff to this before the bodywork and and everything, when I just kept buying wheels for it and all that, um, I actually really wanted to trade it for an 05 STI. I wanted an Aspen White so bad. Mm-hmm. I was I was looking very hard for somebody to trade before I really understood the value of the 05 STIs, and I thought maybe somebody would want to trade for this because it's a rare color, but not really grasping that those are worth much more. Um, I after that when I finally just decided to keep it I, I just got so deep I'm like well this is gonna stick with me for a while and then the following got so big with it somehow I just I still it still surprises me because I really don't try for it you know I've never paid for followers I've never like spammed people to post me or anything like that I literally just post pictures like every other day of the car and you know I don't even use hashtags so it's like I really haven't done anything special. So just for all this to happen naturally, it was just crazy enough that I was like, well, this is kind of fun. Let's keep it going. And then, like I said, just as I learned more with rare parts and custom work that can be done and I think of new projects I can do with it, I just don't really have a desire ever to get rid of it now. And there's just always more stuff to do. So it's like if I start over, I'm starting over. You know, and do I really want to start over now? Because I got to sell all these parts that were with this. And then what do I sell this as? Just a shell? Or do I, you know, spend the next two years with parts in my living room that I can't sell? Because, you know, they're rare or these people don't want custom parts or, you know. Oh, I know the feeling all too well. Right. Who's going to buy these flares? Because then they got to build the car around these flares that Mm -hmm. are already built for my car. You know, so it's just like, it just seems silly to even think about starting over. And now I'm just, yeah, that car has all my all my passion and time and money, so, yeah. Which is really the only return on investment, right? It's it's your passion, yep. it's your happiness, right? Yep. It's never it's never gonna be about the money. Right. Right. Yep. So, I'm glad that we were able to sit down and talk, um, getting to know you to know you personally. Is there anything you wanna say specifically before we close out? I know you have big plans coming up for your car. Definitely, it'll be a big reveal, I guess, what time yeah. in the summertime? Some, that's there. the goal soon as soon as possible is the goal I, I want to try and hit all the all the shows I normally would hit up here so if not more but I actually have a reason to get the car out when it's done but yeah that's the goal and a friend of mine and I also want to try and make a California show next year so we might get to see you hopefully so down in SoCal or something. I'll look forward that's to it man. most likely where we'll end up Definitely. So, a lot of our show team is down there as well so we can kind of link up with some people we haven't gotten to meet that's in the, you know, California team mm-hmm. and actually get to show down there and meet a bunch of you guys because I'm friends with so many of you down in SoCal or in California in general, but especially SoCal. There's so many of you guys that I want to meet. So All right. it'd be cool. Well, thanks again, man. I'd love to sit down and I guess we'll talk more as the, as the car develops and something that people are going to look forward to.